Welcome to the second episode of Season 9 of Delving Into Dance. The first three episodes of this season are shining a light on artists presenting work as part of Dance Massive. Dance Massive is a biennial festival presenting work of Australian artists held in Melbourne in March this year. You'll hear from Paul White and in this episode Danielle Mitchich, and in the previous episode you heard from Joe Lloyd. These three artists have an extensive history in dance and provide three unique perspectives about dance, life, and all have their own individual styles and processes. Delving Into Dance also has an extensive archive of other Dance Massive artists, which you can find on the website, including Joel Bray, Melanie Lane, Luke George, Anouk Van Dyke, Stephanie Lake, Philip Adams, and several others. But before we delve into Danielle Mitchich's work and her experience, an exciting little development. You can now hear Delving Into Dance on Spotify. So if you're a Spotify user, why not go find Delving Into Dance and hit follow. Of course, you can still find Delving Into Dance on iTunes and on the website. This interview covers so much ground, including the incredible work called You, Animal You, which I was lucky enough to see premiere at Sydney Festival in 2018. This work was Danielle's first major work for Force Majeure as artistic director. In this interview, I started by asking a question which I'm worried is becoming a little bit predictable, and that is, where did dance start? That's actually not that predictable. Not many people ask me that question. So um, the real answer is, I, you know, there was two, two journeys. The one where you're four years old and you're just doing it because your mother puts you in. That's that first journey and you don't know what you're doing until you realise when you're about 16 and you're starting to get an opinion about everything that you're doing, uh, then you realise that it was something that you actually cared about and felt passionate about and then you realised you had some sort of connection to, um, which made me think that this might potentially be a career for me. So that was that journey. But then there's another journey that happens after that is when you decide that you want to be a dancer and you have to kind of, you know, what that journey is to get into like, you know, I went to the VCA and did all that training going, well, actually once I became that dancer, then I actually, that wasn't enough for me. I had way more questions about what I was doing once I was working full-time in a dance company. And so then I kind of then moved and started having conversations in the theatre world about what they were doing and crossed over to that. So, and after I was doing that, then I worked into choreography because then people wanted me to do some choreography and then I became a movement director and then I became a director and now I'm an artistic director. So I've kind of bounced around just because I've, had to find my own pathway because I was interested primarily in movement but what it could offer and that has changed from the day that I started dancing to right now and the artists that I work with. Yeah so what do you think dance can offer I think? Oh it's huge it's yeah it's a huge gamut like and that's the difference between when people decide to come and see my work and go where's the dance or um uh you know there's there's not enough dance or you know there's People have a certain expectation of what dance is and I range from like working from the most cellular (laughs) component of the body to the very obvious, you know, just need to see um, some entertainment factors and that they're very different ways of working with with performers and different type of performers but I've done all the gamut and, and I'm kind of interested in that conversation now more about 
uh, how to access movement from the performer as opposed to um, I'm interested in uh, creating this particular work. So especially when I'm working with non-dancers, I find that really interesting because the conversation goes to what, how are you having a conversation with your body right now and what what is that conversation do you actually know what your body can do because sometimes I see the most exquisite things come out of bodies that are untrained and that is of interest but then when I work with the trained bodies I kind of go well I don't want to see what you always give me you know what what I see I want you to tap into something else and what is that and can I find a way so it's a kind of like a a conversation and a psychology uh, journey, psychological journey with with artists and with um, performers uh, about how they are connected to their body. So it does range from the the most articulate to the most conceptual thinking kind of um, makers as well. You said something interesting which I find quite a lot about... uh, I guess the boxes or the ways that we describe practice. So it's to theatre or it's to dance or where's the dance, where's the... And everything becomes quite siloed, whereas your work sits, I guess, within that non-binary space and across mm. forms. Why, yeah. why, do, why, does, why do we like the box? Why do we need to put things into boxes? Uh, because I think it's the easy way in. Like we package everything up in boxes, like even the way that we order our food, um, the way we order our tickets online. Everything is a box, like going to the, uh, the, the festival website, you know, which, which one are we going to? Like we, we know what we're getting when we tick this box, but actually... I find that there are no surprises in those boxes at all. And that's why I like sitting in between is because when you work with performers like Heather Mitchell, she gives you something else that you weren't prepared for because when she sits in the theatre box, you know what you're going to get. But when she sits in the dance theatre box, man, she gives you something else that you were not expecting. So you're going, okay, now we're somewhere else. This is new. This is unexpected. And I like my audience to sit further to the front of their seat then to the back of their seat where they're going okay just entertain me going well there's a certain way of entertaining I also want you to feel something so if someone has come to my show and tells me how good the dancers are I feel like I have failed in some way because it's not about how well they have executed their movement but if someone has come to me and said wow, that really reminds me of, you know, when uh, in my childhood and a memory comes out or some sort of connection to themselves, like they start sharing a story, then I know that my box, (laughs) my personal box has been ticked going, I'm connecting with an audience in a way that most other um, makers aren't thinking about and that's what I'm interested in doing. Yeah, nice. You mentioned becoming an artistic director and for many... I guess choreographers that take that leap, they discuss the different skills required within that overall vision as opposed to maybe on the floor, uh, in the studio, working with dancers. And I guess some dancers make great choreographers and some great choreographers make great artistic directors, but there's not always a crossover. And I'm wondering how you've found your time kind of stepping into that role of artistic director. Um, So funny, I have... You just, you you know, when you don't know who you are until you're somewhere, like 
I always had a friend um, who uh, has been a bit of a mentor of me, and she said, always said to me, and it never stuck with me. She goes, "You're you're so CEO material. You're so CEO material." And I never knew what she meant by that. It's because she observed the way that I used to be strategic and plan and. Uh, network and be passionate about my stuff and she's like oh you just make you'd be so good in these positions and until I actually stepped into this role and worked out how the pace changes how you change how your relationship changes how your relationship changes to your art how it changes to the um, performers like everything changes Um, what you're trying to do is not change everything like it's like this thing that happens and I'm going don't lose the artist in me, don't lose the artist in me because that's who I am. I bring the artist to to this role, not I bring, um, I, not in, a, in any other, other way around. I, you know, sometimes I see it become consumed by um, the organisation. So um, it's easy to remember and know what my vision is because I just have to think about what it is that I want to do as an artist uh, inside the industry, inside um, my art form. Like there's these little kind of, you know, my own silos that that I exist within. And I just have to keep on saying to myself, if I am the artist, what am I doing now to continue uh, and to perpetuate really good things from this position? And yes, it is definitely not for everyone but it's something that I absolutely love because it makes me have a stronger voice and connect to artists that I would never have access to if I wasn't um, an artistic director. You also took on the company at a time of um, I guess a lot of uncertainty regarding funding and changes and shifts in funding due to um, massive funding cuts across the sector. I guess that would have been a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, you walk into a company uh, knowing what the company is and then the next minute it's not the same company anymore. And that's when, (laughs) thanks to my friend reminding me why I'd be a good CEO, is uh, you have to restructure, replan, redo. You have to start from ground up again. You have to be realistic. You have to be responsible. You have to keep keep things alive when you don't have that structure anymore around you and I um, as much as I found that really overwhelming a lot of the time I am I would say you know I'm really proud of where we are at the moment as a company because you know there's only two full-time staff members at Force Majeure that's what we are and a couple of other people that we bring in when we need to but we work very hard to maintain um a presence and a relevance here and yeah it's it's been difficult but it's um we're still here and we're we're yeah we're doing great talking about doing great one of your big works that came out just kind of after that period was you animal you and talk about scale and <laughs> size of a work do you want to talk a little bit about that work and where it uh, arose from and what it explores yeah um you Animal You uh, actually took a while, and that's the thing, like we were supposed to premiere the year before, but with the funding cuts, we, it was just not possible at all to do that. So Wesley Enoch, being the amazing artistic director that he is, said to me, well, just do it next year, like give yourself another year and come back and do the show. And that 
is a gift from, you know, one artist to another, which I really appreciate because that means, you know, you sometimes get dumped to a site, as you know, as an artist, like you missed out on your opportunity, but this was an opportunity that Wesley was not going to let slide by. And so he wanted to support a company like us. So it was a big struggle to get it up and going with what, all the resources, but, you know, getting funded and the support behind Sydney Festival. Um, I wanted to make a work, you know, my first big work for the company that kind of looked at the way we perceived movement, the way we engaged uh, it, with theatre and kind of put some kind of challenging images and thoughts inside a framework. So, like I said, so you would walk away thinking, wow, what, 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 what was it I just saw? Like, I don't want people to try to tick a box for us. I want them just to come in and just go, how do I feel about what is presented in front of me? Because we do have text. We do have a lot of text in this work. And we have some really amazing movers in this work as well. So it's the combination I'm trying to get um, a visceral and more intimate relationship uh, and bring an audience to the conversations that we're having with artists. So the work, you know, itself is about um, like a pecking order, about tough love and how we look at um, when you get yourself in some sort of cycle, how do we stop a cycle um, of, you know, of misuse, of abuse inside either, you know, and the framework can be anything. It could be like, you know, I'm looking at kind of like a family, but it's like a dysfunctional family. And it's kind of set within this kind of somebody's personal game. And within this game, uh, I set the audience like voyeurs. Like I want people to sit there watching it like, I can watch you watching the show and watching you feel uncomfortable watching the show. Like I want us to be all held responsible for watching what, what is happening on stage as opposed to I can't see the person next to me and so therefore it doesn't matter. Actually, I want us to all take part in what I'm putting on stage and be responsible and have a and have thoughts about that and if we do that then we're having a bigger conversation about what is actually being putting up being put on our stage today because um yeah it, it just has to just has to be a little bit more um out there <laughs> the use of voice in that work and I guess across a lot of your work is so powerful and so strong and often I find when voice is used in dance uh, dancers are being asked to speak or to project or to do those kind of things and not necessarily having the skills. But that's that's certainly not the case with your work. I guess does your understanding or the way you work with the body help assist the use of text or how, how's that process? So, um, you know, we also, one of the performers is Lauren Longwire, a very... Uh, established and beautiful choreographer and mover herself and she has worked with text quite a bit and uh, I was interested in working with her but at another at a new level at a level where uh, I introduced to her and I asked her to come and work with the company uh, to prepare her because I'd seen her work but there is an I have a complete relationship and a, a dialogue between the the moving body and spoken word and I've 
got this program called Insight and Insight is all about dissecting that. So it's not about the actors doing the acting and the dancers doing the dancing. There is a certain rigor and training that I am implementing because I found there was none, especially as someone who was making works and was a performer for many, many years. Uh, I was running around the, the globe finding people going, who can help me with this? Who's doing this? And then someone, you'd go in someone's shows and they go, can you dance and speak? And I'm going, well, I'll give it a go. Like there was nothing around doing that as opposed to if you're in it, you're in it. And then it's too late. You, you're kind of show ready and then you don't do it again for the next couple of years. So I, over the last, as soon as I got this position, it was right, I'm going to set up exactly what I need for this industry, especially for dance theatre, especially for force majeure. Uh, insight where I worked it's a co combination of many many things that I've done of trainings but all to do with my thoughts around it and it's just dissecting how the two can work together as a training as opposed to um, how separate they are and how we can make them work so it's now about making that combination um, uh, start having yeah that combination kind of rolling and it's at the moment it's a like a two-week course that I do so we've had actors uh, movers uh, directors composers uh, theater makers circus youth uh, you name it we've had the gamut of artists because I love working uh, multidisciplinary to have this conversation. So if you are a director and you're going to go, well, how do I make someone speak like that? And going, well, actually there's several things that you need to consider and I'm going to tell you what that is. But also I want you to kind of start to experience it a little bit yourself so you know where it's coming from. So it's a hands-on scenario where you have to learn how to connect the two together. And that is actually a training. It's like a muscle. Like you can't just run a marathon without training. This is the same thing. Um, and then it's trying to find that natural sense. So, you know, we, I had worked a lot with those performers specifically with my insight training to get them to be voice and body ready because it just doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally. They're, they're generally separated. The two are separated generally. Hmm. Yeah, so that obviously um, is what I'm observing in the work because it is really embedded and incredibly strong. Um, and that's something that I often, I guess, uh, find challenging dance work when dancers are asked to speak and don't have that training and they're yep. trying really hard but they're, not, they're just not supported in that way. No. It's a little over a year since... Uh, guess you animal you first premiered going back to it and revisiting the work and thinking about it again will it shift will it change do you think about it differently um it listen yes there i'm making changes um as any device work you're kind of finishing it on the day and then you continually uh feed things to your performers as we're going along because you see new things and then th new things work um, but yes th there'll be some shifts but nothing huge where it changes the work but I'm you know that's that's a good thing about it like we do have two new cast members coming in and um, that already shifts the work because you know they are new and I'm not showing them the video <laughs> So I literally am letting them find their own way into a process um, which because I want them to find who they are, not replicate something that was existence because everyone 
you know, I, I brought them in because I want their interpretation, not like, can you be this person right now? Um, and that's the exciting part about it. So there, there will be some shifts and changes, but if anything, uh, it'll just make it stronger. Yeah, I'm just trying to find stronger ways and more succinct ways to to get to get certain images across and certain poignant moments, which, you know, sometimes you miss and then I go, right, if I just move that around, that's going to be much stronger. So, yeah, minor changes. So in regards to not using a video, because obviously that's such a common technique, do you give direction or how do you shape that process? Um, yes, it's it's generally through uh, looking at the script and then completely dissecting it and then talking through the whole thing. So until a performer understands who they are in the landscape, then only can they be introduced to the physical side of things. So one person is a mover, one person is an actor. They're the, the, they're the two people who are coming into the work, but they both have to be physical. Um, it's just literally just taking your time to um, speak it through. It's not because I never get up and show anything because I can't. I can't do half the stuff they're doing anymore. I'm too old for that. But I can. I can encourage them to do more interesting things. Go. Oh, do you think you could? Or what would it be if you? And I just propose questions or provocations to them all the time, and that shifts the work. So I just sit on my butt talking all the time and getting excited about the possibilities. Yeah, it's really interesting because in the previous episode I interviewed Jo Lloyd and she was talking about not using video and trying to develop a notation system that I guess captures those moments and the feelings and the energy and what the body is doing in a way that allows yeah. for new possibilities and doesn't lock it down, which a video yeah. does. And yeah, because yeah, there's a, this a scene called the birthing solo uh, quite close to the end of the show and um, – I, like I wrote down the notes and going, so it's, it says here and I'm reading my notes like going, yeah, what does that mean? And then when I, you know, when I personally go look at the video and then I read my notes and I go, okay, so then so I will reference the video and then I will then talk to what the essence, like I'm trying to find what, yeah, what that essence and how you distill what that is because you want that moment to be alive every night not like and this is the this is the movement that I do every night and I'll execute it beautifully for you like I like mistakes on new 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 nuances inside of work when I go oh look at that they held it for about like a second longer oh that's good like you know because it keeps me on the edge and keeps them alive I, yeah I don't want something static and stagnant stagnant on my stage yeah fair enough when it comes to dance and art more broadly at the moment, what are some things that are exciting you? Um, oh, that's so that's a, such an interesting question because um, my head is so full of everything that I'm doing right now. Um, uh, something that really pulled my focus away from my work for a little bit was when Childish Gambino um to, um, brought out his, you know, this is America clip. Normally, normally, I wouldn't. I don't know. Some some things just don't go past me. But when that came past me, that really shifted a lot of my thinking around the politics that we can put inside our work. And I just thought it was so so clever and so interesting and so simple and so obvious that. Um, it was a great reminder to me, especially because I 
also work with young people. I work with the really established performers, like the range of performers that I work with going, yeah, um, keep talking to the people that you're working with because they are going to give you the offers um, and give you new insights uh, and something to kind of keep tweeting, you know, twiddling away with in my head. So I'm just kind of going, I have a lot of conversations with myself clearly uh, when I'm making a work, but that kind of work meant he's having really great conversations and he's opening up those conversations and I was just reminded and that was really exciting because I was like, fuck, that's, that's, I just found it surprisingly really interesting to me, which I normally wouldn't. That's I'm interested in what else you might be exploring at the moment or into the near future. Uh, I'm kind of interested in the longevity of things and I have, in my past, I once ran a company called Steps Youth Dance Company in Perth, Western Australia. And uh, for, for actually for, for quite a few years there, I kind of kept that very quiet in my resume and in my background because it just seemed to be kind of not relevant or interesting to anyone for quite some period of time. Until uh, recently when I was reminded of how amazing and resourceful and ambitious young people are today and and even though I knew that you know 15 20 years ago when I used to run the company um that was just like a privilege that I had like I just knew how amazing they were (laughs) and then now I kind of go wow the kids are now standing up and having huge conversations about our environment and I'm looking at a, a conversation between uh, our generation that's coming coming in to inherit a really interesting um, world that we're kind of leaving and and then um, being in conversation with our like most established senior performers um, and having like the other spectrum. So yeah, I'm kind of looking at this kind of stereo between junior and, and senior voices on stage. Um, kind of battling that out in in some really interesting way by deconstructing Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Oh, amazing. What a piece of music to to have that conversation around and around. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting too because it has this form and structure that um, we're kind of basing this work around and um, when you have something quite when something is classical and and it has real real structure to it and within this structure you're kind of going wow this structure has lasted for 300 years and so has all these like so has many of these buildings also around us like how does something exist within a structure now like if we replaced these these like these these um notes with something more relevant now, what would that sound like? Does that structure still stand relevant to us? Does it still stand if we inhabit it in a, in a different way? And that's kind of an interesting conversation I'm having, wanting to have, you know, with with the body, you know, over time when the body starts to, to, to deteriorate, what, what are we having about our own body and what are we having about the world that we're living in? Uh, as we're seeing it deteriorate around us, what's our relationship to body and the planet that we live on? Yeah, incredible. What else is in store for 2019? Um, I, we have a company artist, Genoa Gila, and we are working on one of her works, uh, which 
is great because we have this long relationship and she has a, a, a she's an ambitious artist which I love who wants to um, tell her own stories and so um, we're going to be uh, supporting the, that creation so we've got a creative development of that and um, yes uh, development of our four, four seasons work coming up our insight program our uh, master classes there's some travel um, that, so there's, there's quite a lot going on at the moment but all good all kind of you know all those voices, a range of artists. Um, the spectrum is huge, but um, and and hugely ambitious, but um, something that I, I like to tackle. Yeah, and of course we've got you, Animal You, coming up in Melbourne, which must be um, quite hard to find venues and spaces to hold a work of that scale. Yeah, well, I suppose if anything, we've just gone a little bit more smaller, smaller because you know we premiered Sydney Festival last year at Carriage Works in a massive space there, which uh, which which is great. Um, and now this is, in theory, I think it'll be even better because you're actually going to be, you know, you're going to be closer to the action. I mean, you were close anyhow, but. Um, being you know single seated around you know a, a venue and literally being close enough to be touched by the performers that's that's an exciting kind of you know dialogue already going yep so I'm re we're really looking forward and also because this is the first work uh that I am bringing to Melbourne since I graduated from VCA so yeah I've done works everywhere except for Melbourne so this will be my first time I've presented in Melbourne Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I know, I'm excited. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, you can find a list of episode notes at delvingintodance.com. You can find Delving Into Dance on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, and now Spotify. Delving Into Dance is currently unfunded, and without your donations, we will not be able to continue. So please, if you like this project, if you like the interviews, if you want to support dance and independent dance artists in getting their work out there, please consider leaving a contribution online. Arts journalism now is more important than ever, giving a profile to those that make our lives that little bit richer. So your contributions are really, really welcome. You can find Delving Into Dance's extensive archive of over 44 episodes, including with the likes of Meryl Tankard, Raphael Bonicella, Judith Mackerel, and many, many more. Until next time, take care.